Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles Original Edition. Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to J cim.net where if you mouse over the link at top for online edition you will see the link to read ACIMOE on that same drop down menu there is a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email also sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from 9.15, thereabouts, to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 8, The Journey Back, with Section 8, The Body as Means or End. At the top of the hour, we'll pause for remembrance of our lesson for the day. Today's lesson is Lesson 95. I am one self, united with my Creator. And that will be led today by <laughs> the birthday girl, Fran. <laughs> so, happy birthday, Fran. And thanks for doing Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, Lori, do you, do you have an, one of your poetic openings for this call this morning? I found one perfect for the day, Lemoyne. Very simple and recognizable. My soul honors your soul. I honor the place in you where the entire universe resides. I honor the light, love, truth, beauty, and peace within you because it is also within me. In sharing these things, we are united. We are the same. We are one. Namaste. 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 Love it. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lori. My privilege. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Um, let's see. I have with us in reading this morning, I have Lori, Harrison, Bran, Karen, and Jessica. Uh, so I have Ida and... And Robin Marie. Oh, my. I just lost you there. Sorry, Robin Marie. <laughs> Put you back in the order where you appeared there before Karen. Okay. That's why I do that, so I can be corrected. 
Let's see. We're joined in listening now by... <laughs> I think I'm getting this wrong. Some people ask to be put to the end. Let's see. That was Lana. Okay. Um, we're joined in listening this morning by uh, Steve and maybe Lana. So, uh, is there anyone else who's joined us who would like to say good morning? Maybe join the reading listing, reading list, or just say hi? Yes, good morning, Lemoyne. It's Jude, and I can read. Thank you. Well, thank you, Judy. Lemoyne, this is Lana. The person I was waiting for came and went, so I can read now. You can put me on the reading list. All right, thank you, Lana. And yeah, if I if I mess this up, which it it appears that I scrambled a little bit, um, just interrupt if or let me know. Um, and I'll just continue to try to adapt this morning. Okay. All right, I'll get it started then um, with Chapter 8, The Journey Back, in Section 8, the body, the body as Means or End. <coughs> attitudes toward the body are attitudes toward attack. The ego's definition of everything Ego's definitions of everything are childish and are always based on what it believes the thing is for. This is because it's incapable of true generalizations and equates what it sees with the function it ascribes to it. It does not equate it with what it is. To the ego, the body is to attack with. Equating you with the body, it teaches you, teaches that you are to attack with because this is what it believes. The body, then, is not the source of its own health. The body's condition lies solely in your interpretation of its function. Lori. Uh, chapter 8, The Journey Back, Section 8, The Body is Means or End. Attitudes toward the body are attitudes toward attack. The ego's definitions of everything are childish and always based on what it believes a thing is for. This is because it is incapable of true generalizations and equates what it sees with the function it ascribes to it does not equate it with what it is. To the ego, the body is to attack with. Equating you with the body, it teaches that you are to, to attack with because this is what it believes. The body then is not the source of its own health. The body's condition lies solely in your interpretation of its function. 
70. The reason why definitions in terms of function are inferior is that they may well be inaccurate. Functions are part of being since they arise from it, but the relationship is not reciprocal. The whole does define the part, but the part does not define the whole. This is as true of knowledge as it is of perception. The reason to know in part is to know entirely is because of the fundamental difference between knowledge and perception. In perception, the whole is built up of parts which can separate and reassemble in different constellations. Knowledge never changes, so its constellation is permanent. The only areas in which part-whole relationships have any meaning are those in which change is possible. There is no difference between the whole and the part where change is impossible. Well, thank you, Lori. And Harrison. Seven. The reason why definitions in terms of function are inferior is that they may be inaccurate. Some functions are part of being since they arise from it. But the relationship is not reciprocal. The whole does the the part does not define the whole. This is as true of knowledge as it is of perception. The reason to know in part is to know entirely is because of the fundamental difference between knowledge and perception. In perception, the whole is built up of parts which can separate and reassemble in different constellations. Knowledge never changes. So its constellation is permanent. The only areas in which part-whole relationships have any meaning are those in which change is possible. There is no difference between the whole and the part where change is impossible. 71. The body exists in a world which seems to hold let me do that again. The body exists in a world which seems to contain two voices which are fighting for its possession. In this perceived constellation 
the body is regarded as capable of shifting its control from one to the other, making the concept of both health and sickness possible. The ego makes a fundamental confusion between means and ends, as it always does, regarding the body as an end. The ego has no real use for it because it is not an end. You must have noticed an outstanding characteristic of every end that the ego has accepted as its own. When you have achieved it, it has not satisfied you. This is why the ego is forced to shift from one end to another without ceasing, so that you will continue to hope that it can yet offer you something. Thank you, Harrison. And Fran. 71. The body exists in a world which seems to contain two voices which are fighting for its possession. In this perceived constellation, the body is regarded as capable of shifting its control from one to the other, making the concept of both health and sickness possible. The ego makes a fundamental confusion between means and ends, as it always does. Regarding the body as an end, the ego has no real use for it because it is not an end. You must have noticed an outstanding characteristic of every end that the ego has accepted as its own. When you have achieved it, it has not satisfied you. This is why the ego is forced to shift from one end to another without ceasing, so that you will continue to hope that it can yet offer you something. 72. It has been particularly difficult to overcome the ego's belief in the body as an end because this is synonymous with the belief in attack as an end. The ego has a real investment in sickness. If you are sick, someone needs to mute. (laughs) If you are sick, how can you object to the ego's firm belief that you are not invulnerable? This is a particularly appealing argument from the ego's point of view because it obscures the obvious attack which underlies the sickness. If you accepted this and also decided against attack, you could not give this false witness to the ego's stand. Uh, Thank you, friend. And Lana. 
He's 72. Um, it has been particularly difficult to overcome the ego's belief in the body as an end because this is synonymous with the belief in attack as an end. The ego has a real investment in sickness. If you are sick, how can you object to the ego's firm belief that you are not invulnerable? This is a particularly appealing argument from the ego's point of view because it obscures the obvious attack with, which underlies the sickness. If you accepted this and also decided against attack, you could not give this false witness to the ego's stand. 73. It is hard to perceive sickness as a false witness because you do not realize that it is entirely out of keeping with what you want. This witness then appears to be innocent and trustworthy because you have not seriously cross-examined him. If you did, you would not consider sickness such a strong witness on behalf of the ego's views. Well, thank you, Lana and Robin Marie. Seventy-three. It is hard to perceive sickness as a false witness because you do not realize that it is entirely out of keeping with what you want. This witness, then, appears to be innocent and trustworthy because you have not seriously cross-examined him. If you did, you would not consider sickness such a strong witness on behalf of the ego's views. 74. A more honest statement would be as follows. Those who want the ego are predisposed to defend it. Therefore, their choice of witnesses should be suspect from the beginning. The ego does not call upon witnesses who would disagree with its case, nor does the Holy Spirit. We have said that judgment is the function of the Holy Spirit and one which he is perfectly equipped to fulfill. The ego as a judge gives anything but an impartial judgment. When the ego calls on a witness, it has already made the witness an ally. Well, thank you, Robin Marie. <coughs> and Karen. 74. A more honest statement would be as follows. Those who want the ego are predisposed to defend it. Therefore, their choice of witnesses should be suspect from the beginning. The ego does not call upon witnesses who would disagree with its case nor does the Holy Spirit. We have said that judgment is the function of the Holy Spirit and one which he is perfectly equipped to fulfill. The ego, as a judge, gives anything but an impartial judgment. When the ego calls on witness, it has already made the witness an ally. 75. 
it is still true that the body has no function of itself because it is not an end. The ego, however, establishes it as an end because as such, it will lose its true function. This is the purpose of everything the ego does. Its sole aim is to lose sight of the function of everything. A sick body does not make any sense. It could not make sense because sickness is not what the body is for. Sickness is meaningful only if the two basic premises on which the ego's interpretation of the body rests are true. Specifically, these are that the body is for attack and that you are a body. Without these premises, sickness is completely inconceivable. Thank you, Karen. And Jessica. Yes. Paragraph 75. It is still true that the body has no function of itself because it is not an end. The ego, however, establishes it as an end because as such it will lose its true function. This is the purpose of everything the ego does. Its sole aim is to lose sight of the function of everything. A sick body does not make any sense. It could not make it could not make sense because sickness is not what the body is for. Sickness is meaningful only if the two basic premises on which the ego's interpretation of the body rests are true. Specifically, these are that the body is for attack and that you are a body. Without these premises, sickness is completely inconceivable. Sickness is a way of demonstrating that you can't be hurt. It's a witness to your frailty, your vulnerability, and your extreme need to depend on external guidance. The ego uses this as a best argument for the need for its guidance. It dictates any precaution for avoiding catastrophic outcomes. The Holy Spirit, perfectly aware of the same data, does not analyze them at all. If the data are meaningless, there is no point considering them. The function of truth is to collect them which are true. There is no point in trying to make sense of newer data. Any way you handle them results in nothing. The more complicated the results become, the harder it may be to recognize their nothingness. But it is not necessary to examine all possible outcomes to which the premises give rise to judge them truly. Oh, sorry, let me read that again. Um, the more complicated the results become, the harder it may be to recognize their nothingness. 
but it is not necessary to examine all possible outcomes to which premises give rise to judge them truly. Thank you, Jessica. And Judy. Am I on mute? No, Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, good. Thank you, Lemoyne. 76. Sickness is a way of demonstrating that you can be hurt. It is a witness to your frailty, your vulnerability, and your extreme need to depend on external guidance. The ego uses this as its best argument for your need for its guidance. It dictates endless prescriptions for avoiding catastrophic outcomes. The Holy Spirit, perfectly aware of the same data, does not bother to analyze them at all. If the data are meaningless, there is no point in considering them. The function of truth is to collect data which are true. There is no point in trying to make sense out of meaningless data. Any way you handle them results in nothing. The more complicated the results become, the harder it may be to recognize their nothingness. But it is not necessary to examine all possible outcomes to which premises give rise to judge them truly. (coughs) Excuse me. A learning device is not a teacher. It cannot tell you how you feel. A learning device is not a teacher. It cannot tell you how you feel. You do not know how you feel because you have accepted the ego's confusion. And you think that a learning device can tell you how you feel. Sickness is merely another example of your insistence on asking the guidance of a teacher who does not know the answer. The ego is incapable of knowing how you feel. When we said that the ego does not know anything, we said the one thing about the ego that is wholly true. But there is a corollary corollary if knowledge or knowledge is being if knowledge is being and the ego has no knowledge then the ego has no be being amen thank you judy <clears throat> yeah i think that word's usually pronounced corollary um, let's see where, oh, it's that time. Uh, is there a new reader for 77 and 78? 
New reader for 77 and 78. All righty then. Back to you, Lori. A learning device is not a teacher. It cannot tell you how you feel. You do not know how you feel because you have accepted the ego's confusion and you think that a learning device can tell you how you feel. Sickness is merely another example of your insistence on asking the guidance of a teacher who does not know the answer. The ego is incapable of knowing how you feel. When we said that the ego does not know anything, we said the one thing about the ego that is wholly true. But there is a corollary. If knowledge is being, and the ego has no knowledge, then the ego has no being. 78. You might well ask how the voice of something which does not exist can be so insistent. Have you seriously considered the distorting power of something you want, even if it is not true? You have had many instances of how what you want can distort what you see and hear. No one can doubt the ego's skill in building up false cases, nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen to, excuse me, no one, nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen until you will not tolerate anything except truth. When you lay the ego aside, it will be gone. The Holy Spirit's voice is as loud as your willingness to listen. It cannot be louder without violating your will, which the Holy Spirit seeks to free, but never to command. Uh, thank you, Lori. And Harrison. You might well ask how the voice of something which does not exist can be so insistent. Good question. Have you seriously considered the distorting power of something you want, even if it is not true? You've had many instances of how what you want can distort what you see and hear. No one can doubt the ego's skill in building up false cases, nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen until you will not to tolerate anything except truth. When you lay the ego aside, it will be gone. The Holy Spirit's voice is as loud as your willingness to listen. It cannot be louder without violating your will which the Holy Spirit seeks to free, but never 
to command. 79. The Holy Spirit teaches you to use your body only to reach your brothers. So he can teach his message through you. This will heal them and therefore heal you. Everything used in accordance with its function as the Holy Spirit sees it cannot be said. Everything used otherwise is. Do not allow the body to be a mirror of a split mind. Do not let it be an image of your own perception of littleness. Do not let it reflect your will to attack. Health is the natural state of anything whose interpretation is left to the Holy Spirit who perceives no attack on anything. Health is the result of relinquishing all attempts to use the body loveless. Health is the beginning of the proper perspective on life. Under the guidance of the one teacher who knows what life is, being the voice for life itself. Wow. Well, thank you, Harrison. And Fran. 79. The Holy Spirit teaches you to use your body only to reach your brothers so he can reach his message through you. This will heal them and therefore heal you. Everything used in accordance with this function as the Holy Spirit sees it cannot be sick. Everything used otherwise is. Do not allow the body to be a mirror of a split mind. Do not allow, do not let it be an image of your own perception of littleness. Do not let it reflect your will to attack. Health is the natural state of anything whose interpretation is left to the Holy Spirit, who perceives no attack on anything. Health is the result of relinquishing all attempts to use the body lovelessly. Health is the beginning of the proper perspective on life under the guidance of the one teacher who knows what life is, being the voice for life itself. Amen. Thank you, friend. And... We're pretty close to the top of the hour, but um, let me attempt a quick summary here of Section 8, the body as means or end.
uh, from the first paragraph here. Attitudes toward the body are attitudes toward attack. To the ego, the body is to attack with. Equating you with the body, it teaches that you are to attack with because this is what it believes. The body, then, is not the source of its own health. The body's condition lies solely in your interpretation of its function. Functions are part of being since they arise from it, but the relationship is not reciprocal. The whole does define the part, but the part does not define the whole. This is as true of knowledge as it is of perception. The reason to know in part is to know entirely is because of the fundamental difference between knowledge and perception. In perception, the whole is built up of parts, which can separate and reassemble in different constellations. Knowledge never changes, so its constellation is permanent. There is no difference between the whole and the part where change is impossible. <clears throat> the body exists in a world which seems to contain two voices which are fighting for its possession. In this perceived constellation, the body is regarded as capable of shifting its control from one to the other, making the concept of both health and sickness possible. The ego makes a fundamental confusion between means and ends, as it always does. Regarding the body as an end, the ego has no real use for it because it is not an end. It has been particularly difficult to overcome the ego's belief in the body as an end because this is synonymous with the belief in attack as an end. The ego has a real investment in sickness. If you are sick, how can you object to the ego's firm belief that you are not invulnerable? This is particularly appealing to the ego because it obscures the obvious attack which underlies the sickness. If you accepted this and also decided against attack, you could not give this false witness to the ego's stand. It's still true that the body has no function of itself because it is not an end. The ego, however, establishes it as an end because as such it will lose its true function. This is the purpose of everything the ego does. Its sole aim is to lose the sight of the function of everything. Sickness is meaningful only if the two basic premises on which the ego's interpretation of the body rests are true. Specifically, these are that the body is for attack and that you are a body. Without these premises, 
sickness is completely inconceivable. Sickness is a way of demonstrating that you can be hurt. It's a witness to your frailty, your vulnerability, and your extreme need to depend on external guidance. The ego uses this as its best argument for your need for its guidance detailing endless prescriptions for avoiding catastrophic outcomes. The Holy Spirit, perfectly aware of the same data, does not bother to analyze them at all. There is no point in trying to make sense out of meaningless data. Any way you handle them results in nothing. The more complicated the results become, the harder it may be to recognize their nothingness. But it is not necessary to examine all possible outcomes to which premises give rise to judge those false premises truly. A learning device is not a teacher. It, body, cannot tell you how you feel. You do not know how you feel because you have accepted the ego's confusion and you think that a learning device can tell you how to feel or how you feel or how you should feel. (laughs) Sickness is merely another example of your insistence on asking the guidance of a teacher who does not know the answer. The ego is incapable of knowing how you feel. When we said that the ego does not know anything, we said the one thing about the ego that is wholly true. But there is a corollary. If knowledge is being and the ego has no knowledge, then the ego has no being. You might well ask how the voice of something which does not exist can be so insistent. You have had many instances of how what you want can distort what you see and hear. No one can doubt the ego's skill in building up false cases. Nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen until you will not to tolerate anything except truth. When you lay the ego aside, it will be gone. The Holy Spirit's voice is as loud as your willingness to listen. It cannot be louder without violating your will, which the Holy Spirit seeks to free, but never to command. So the Holy Spirit teaches you to use your body only to reach your brother so he can teach his message through you. This will heal them and therefore heal you. Everything used in accordance with its function as the Holy Spirit sees it cannot be sick. Everything used otherwise is. Do not allow the body to be a mirror of a split mind. Do not let it be an image of your own perception of littleness. Do not let it reflect your will to attack. 
Health is the natural state of anything whose interpretation is left to the Holy Spirit, who perceives no attack on anything. Health is the result of relinquishing all attempts to use the body lovelessly. Health is the beginning of the proper perspective on life under the guidance of the one teacher who knows what life is, being the voice for life itself. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Lamorne. Yeah, thank you, Lamorne. Thanks, Lamorne. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Um, well, it, we are a little ways past the top of the hour now, so... Um, if you're ready and willing, Fran, uh, would you lead us in remembrance of the lesson today? I am one self, united with my creator. Thank you, Lemoyne. Hi, everybody. We are in the first part of the workbook, and today, lesson 95. I am one self united with my creator. So I shall read some from the lesson. Today's idea accurately describes you as God created you. You are one within yourself and one with him. You see yourself as a ridiculous parody on God's creation, weak, vicious, ugly and sinful, miserable, and beset with pain. Such is your version of yourself, a self divided into many warring parts separate from God. We will attempt today to be aware of only what can hear and see and what makes perfect sense. We will again direct our exercises towards teaching, I'm sorry, towards reaching your one self. The use of the first five minutes of every waking hour for practicing the idea for the day has special advantages at the stage of learning in which you are at present. Frequent but shorter practice periods have other advantages for you at this time. In addition to recognizing your difficulties with sustained attention, you must also have noticed that unless you are reminded of your purpose frequently, you tend to forget about it for long periods of time. Structure, then, is necessary for you at this time. We will therefore keep to the first five minutes an hour practice periods for a while and urge you to admit as few as possible. There may well be a temptation to regard the day as lost because you have already failed to do what is required. The Holy Spirit is not delayed in his teaching by your mistakes. 
When you fail to comply with the requirements of this course, you have merely made a mistake. To allow a mistake to continue is to make additional mistakes based on the first and reinforcing it. Let all these errors go by, recognizing them for what they are. They are attempts to keep you unaware you are oneself. This is the truth and nothing else is true. Begin the practice periods today with this assurance given to your mind with all the certainty that you can give. I am oneself, united with my creator, at one with every aspect of creation, and limitless in power and in peace. Then close your eyes and tell yourself again, I am oneself. Repeat this several times and then attempt to feel the meaning which the words convey. You are oneself, complete and healed and whole, with power to lift the veil of darkness from the world and that the light in you come through to teach the world and the truth about itself. Feel this oneself in you. Let it shine away all your illusions and your doubts. Do not forget today. Be vigilant. Do not forget today. Throughout the day, do not forget your goal. Repeat today's idea as frequently as possible. To everyone you meet today, be sure to give the promise of today's idea and tell him this. You are one self with me, united with our creator in this self. I honor you because of what I am and what he is, who gives us both as one. And today we're going to do the five-minute practice. So lesson 95, I am one self united with my creator. Five minutes.
Today's idea accurately describes you as God created you. You are one within yourself and one with him. Lesson 95. I am one self, united with my creator. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. That was wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Fran. Yeah, thank you, Fran. Good morning, Mr. Harrison. Uh, a great lesson in just a position to uh, our reading for today. If I'm oneself united with my creator, I can't be a body. I am not a body. That lesson doesn't make reference to the body at all or a separate being at all. But I'm reading case direct aim at the body and its place in the ego's thought system. The body is a central idea in the ego's thought system. And thank you, Lamar, for your summary. That you were able to pick up uh, all of the salient points, or many of the salient points of this uh, section. I see this section as pointing the way back he says the whole does define the part but the part does not define the whole this is a of knowledge as it is a perception. A reason to know in part is to know entirely. It becomes a bundle 
fundamental difference between knowledge and perception. In perception, the whole is built up of parts which can separate and reassemble in different constellations. Knowledge never changes. So its constellation is permanent. The only areas in which pothole relationships have any meaning are those in which change is possible. There is no difference between the whole and the part. Where change is impossible. That's where we are. We are, we exist in truth in a world where change is impossible. That's why we're not a body. The body changes because it represents the idea of changes. That's the ego's game plan. To deny permanence. To deny unchanging reality. Unchanging love. There's a lot to be said about this section, and I'm looking forward to all of your thoughts. I'm complete. Thanks, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. That was lovely. Good morning. This is Sandra. Um... In paragraph 78, it says, No one can doubt the ego's skill in building up false cases. That would be my judgment. That How that looks is, is when I judge. Nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen until you will not to, to- not to tolerate anything except truth. And for me, every lesson in this book is the truth. So I can address the egoic mind with the truth and, and I can train the ego to shut up. <laughs> when you lay the ego aside, it will be gone. But it's the I. It's the I that has to do it. It's my higher, it's my Holy Spirit that's within me that's doing all this work. The Holy Spirit's voice is as loud as your willingness to listen. So it's, it's that power of decision, which is the only power I truly have. 
is whether is what am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the ego, or am I going to listen to the truth, the voice for God? It cannot be louder without violating your will, which is the holy which the Holy Spirit seeks to free, but never to command. So it's my free will. It's that freedom of choice. It's that power of decision that decides which voice I'm going to listen to. And this book, it says it all over the place. I'm going to judge. It asks me to call on my Holy Spirit when I start judging. I, okay, I can say there is no love but God's. I can use any one of these lessons to address the ego. I am one self. As soon as I catch myself judging myself, I can say, I am one self united with my creator. As soon as I catch myself, and that's where the diligence is, um, is me, as I have to be willing to look at my thoughts. I can say, I am one self united with my creator, at one with every aspect of creation, and limitless in power in, and in peace. So there it's telling me how to address my judgment um, and telling me that I'm one with whatever I'm judging, so I better cut it out, and limitless in the power, and limitless in my power, and also limitless in my creation. So if I think something's supposed to look a certain way, and I get upset because it's not, I forget that I have the power of creation. There's there's a hundred different ways I can approach this particular situation or this problem. I don't have to judge it because there's always other options to get my needs met. And when I start judging, it's usually because my needs aren't getting met. But I'm responsible for that. It's just like I'm responsible to decide which voice I'm going to listen to. And then if I'm judging someone else, here it is. You are one self with me. Again, affirming the connection united with our creator in this self. It's because we're all one with the creator. The creator creates everything. I honor you of, because of what I am and what he is, who loves us both as one. And if I extend that to my brother, who I may be judging, I can't judge them anymore. I have to let go and trust and rely on my relationship with God and the truth. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Yeah, I love thank your comments you, about diligence. <clears throat> thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Yes, thank you, Sandra. Uh, good morning, Islana. Um, uh, I I love the way that the section and the lesson kind of tie in together for me because um, when I remember, you know, that I'm a thought in the mind of God, um, I remember that there's nothing other than that. It's like I don't have a mind <laughs> separate from God's mind. I don't have 
a thinking mind that can um, create anything. Um, I am in God's mind, so that is the only mind I have access to. So if I have um, an ego thought, ego, the idea of ego is kind of like a non-thought. It's a, a no thought. It's a nothing. And the more I can re- remember that, that I'm dealing with, with a nothing, that I'm calling something, and I'm even giving it power, um, but in truth it's nothing disguised as something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I'm telling you, I do this draw a lot, especially when I have body pain, you know, because I have to come back to the, come back to the very beginning of my essence and who am I. I'm one with God. I'm one with my creator. And I have no other, um, there's nothing other than that about me. So I can, Maybe I maybe want autonomy. I may want to have a mind separate from God, but it doesn't change the fact that I, that it's impossible and that idea is um, nonsensical. It can't exist. So um, that's like my resting place when I'm one with God. When I'm home, you know, when I come home to my heart and remember that there's nothing outside of God in me. And um, even and the immense, but the immensity, the enormity of being one with God, uh, all of us being one with God together. You know, the idea that we can put a spirit, our spirit, into a body, or even into a world, or even into a universe. It's just so immense that it could never occupy that space. There's nothing that could contain. Um, who I am as one with God and who we all are as one with God together in that unity, you know. So ego then becomes kind of like a little cartoon. (laughs) It's kind of this cartoon character that I pick up for entertainment every once in a while, call it entertainment, but a lot of times, you know, it's it's like going to a horror movie. It's not really entertainment. <laughs> um, but I have to remember that, um, come back to my source, come back to that moment of now, that moment of creation, every new, every new holy instant of now is a new creation. And when I use that as the center of my being, the center of my existence, I can change the movie whenever I want. You know, I can come in and say, okay, let's have a peaceful afternoon free of pain. Or, you know, actually it informs me. You know, when I get still, it kind of informs me what I want to do next. You know, what does Lana want to do? What would Lana bring Lana joy now? What would bring Lana peace now? And I look inside and sometimes it's meditation, sometimes it's cooking, sometimes it's painting or writing or reading. I don't know. I have to look within and be true to my authentic self because when I do that, I would never look within and see that Lana desires pain or suffering. When I'm true to that essence of myself, which can only be, be found within me, not looking outside of me, 
what's found within me. It will tell me. I will be prompted. I will know what will be, bring me joy in that moment. And that moment is the only thing that exists um, until the next moment. <laughs> but it's, um, we just give up. I mean, I, I, I am tired of giving up my power to some idea that doesn't even exist, some idea of an existence apart from who I truly am as God's creation. So anyway, that's all. <laughs> that kind of struck me this morning, struck a chord. I, I found harmony. I find harmony in reminding myself who I am. No, I'm complete. Thank you. That was beautiful, Anna. I love your emphasis on want. What do I want? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thanks, Linda. He really directly exposes the body in this section. Um, My attention is specifically drawn to paragraph 77 and 78. In 77, he says of learning device, which we know is how Jesus describes the body. A learning device is not a teacher. Just referring to it as a learning device. It's not something that is alive. It's not something that is really significant. And it's not something I can learn from. It can't tell me how I feel. Boy, that that really hits home. I feel like I have a back that's in pain. That's what the body is trying to tell me. But that's not the truth. You do not know how you feel because you have accepted the ego's confusion and you you think that a learning device can tell you how you feel. Mm-hmm. 
boy speaking directly to me. Sickness is merely another example of your insistence on asking the guidance of a teacher who does not know the answer. The ego is incapable of knowing how you feel. The ego and the body are in alliance with each other. More specifically, the ego created the body. The idea of the body so that it could act out the tiny man idea. When we said that the ego does not know anything, we said the one thing about the ego that is wholly true, love that mind, but there is a corollary. If knowledge is being, and the ego has no knowledge, then the ego has no being. That's logic, pure logic. I'd just like to highlight a couple more sentences. In 7.8, no one can doubt the ego skilled in building up false cases, nor can anyone doubt your willingness to listen until you will not to tolerate anything except the truth. Or do I need to work on that? When you lay the ego aside, it will be gone. The Holy Spirit's voice is as loud as your willingness to listen to it. It cannot be louder without violating your will, which the Holy Spirit seeks to free, but never to command. Powerful words. need to work on just allowing the truth of what is being said become a part of me 
Holy Spirit teaches you to use your body only to reach your brothers. So he can teach his masses through you. That's the only use for the body. I'm complete. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. Love those two paragraphs, too. Oh, so do I. Thanks, Harrison. Here, here. Thanks, Harrison. Hi, this is Ida. Um, it says that the Spirit works in mysterious ways. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit does because we recognize it in the things and the people and the events that come to us. I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I have a hard time recognizing it in in the in the job I didn't get and the sweepstakes I didn't win and the person who didn't call me back. But it can be just as much in all that stuff, of course, as it is in the things and the people and the events that come to us. Because the Holy Spirit knows what's good for us and what isn't. And when we're in our ego, we don't. And we're in the course of we're apt to totally turn it upside down and think that, you know, what doesn't help us is a good thing for us and what is actually good for us is not helpful. So, <laughs> thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. No, thank you, Ida. Thank you. Thanks, Ida. And I'm, I'm, I'm so feeling my desire to understand and learn from this, um, the lesson in the reading today. And I appreciate everybody's shares, um, Alana and, and Harrison, um, the, the idea of the way the, the um, ego uses the body for its purpose. Um, to prove that or demonstrate that we can be hurt, that we're vulnerable, frail and weak and temporal. This whole, you know, temporal thing has been coming up for me because um, I too um, am um, continuing to try to learn how to use pain to wake myself up to the truth in me and stay in the constant and, and the changelessness in me so that I can recognize what is the truth and, and hold, hold, in, in, hold myself in the power and the glory of the truth in me. You know, that, <laughs> this is where my strength and my beauty and my happiness, they all abide in the eternal now, right here, right now. So, ergo... I go as as well as I can, um, practicing and, and staying in the moment and in holy instance. Um, and um, the that the um, the ego uses analysis, and I've been going through this 
analysis paralysis for a while lately. You know what's what's wrong with this body? I got to <laughs> I got to fix it, and it's you know it is what it is. And I'm going through the process. You know, having all my tests, but the 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 um, the living in the question is where my answer lies, and the answer is always the same, and it's peace and joy and freedom from the bondage of thinking that I'm something that I'm not, that I am not the body, and it's only when I get lost in thinking that I'm a body, and I don't know, I think it was you, um, or maybe Harrison, maybe it was... Uh, either one of you said it. I am not in the body. It was, Lana, it was you that said that. I'm not in the body. The body is within my mind. And that we are purely mind. And that one-mindedness is what makes us, our awareness of it. I'm getting too excited. Awareness of it and acknowledgement of it. Um, I am oneself, um, united with everything, with the totality of creation. That's my reality. That is my strength. That is my life. But really owning that and claiming it again and again, um, just saying I'm not a body is not enough. I've been doing that for years, and the the recognition that it's, it's, um, it's something within that one-mindedness that I have to feel and this word feel is coming up, um, feel, and it says it in the lesson today, feel it, feel the experience of the oneness. It is giving you to feel the experience of this oneness with everything as you are. And I'm just, I'm really loving that, because when it, but it takes a certain um, stillness. I have to get still. I have to stop thinking. I have to. I, I just have to be with it, and and that um, I'll close with that. That the ego doesn't know anything. That paragraph that Harrison read, um, and you know why keep asking something that it doesn't know? <laughs> it just cracks me up. Um, but um, I do have a guide that knows everything. And that is the source of my peace. That is the source of my content and my healing. Um, that I am a spiritual being, purely mind, one in one with the mind of God, and everything. Um, sickness is a false witness, and I don't want to testify to it anymore. It's a, it's a challenge. Pray with me. <laughs> Amen. I'm complete. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Judy. I so hear you. <laughs> Amen. I'm, so I'm with you. I'm with you. Me too, Judy. And for me, pain has been an invitation and strong encouragement to be as you said, um, in the moment, breath by breath even, uh, and maybe focus on the meditation that I'm listening to. There's a meditation about pain, and uh, I guess we can look those up. But um, 
And not only learn to live in the moment, but all the other spiritual wisdom that I can learn that's in this moment of now, because it is in now, here, and it's not in any other time or place, because any other time or place, of course, doesn't really exist, just here and now. Um, Thank you. Thanks, Ida. Thank you, Ida. I just would like to say one short thing. Um, I have, you know, varying capabilities of, of doing stuff, and I was in the grocery store in the the other day, and it, the pain got so bad that I was hating my, my body. Uh, and it, it, it came over me like being angry at it, and, and then it, I could feel my body tightening up in the resistance to its own self being in pain. And it was so, I got so lost in it, I became hateful towards my body. And then it was like having an out-of-body experience and watching myself become hateful to to anything that got near me it's like don't anybody touch me so the wall the wall that i had put myself within my own sense of self became bigger and it was like don't come near me and or i'll i'll attack you and i was in i was attacking my own body and defending in the attack and defense and i think the um the um I've been so struggling with trying to get an understanding of it that 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 what keeps coming is that be so tender, be so gentle, be so mindful of your body and take care of it and love it. Don't get to the point, don't push it, don't force it, don't make it do something that it's not or can't do for you right now. And um so the, the tenderness and the gentleness and the kindness and the compassion are um, um, the only objective tools for me to um, attend to attend to my body and 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 um, and deal with its its neutrality and being in its pain because it's not doing it to me. It's not trying to hurt me. It's just hurting. It's just hurting, and that's all there is to it. <laughs> I hope that's helpful. I'm really trying to learn something from it. I love you guys. I'm complete. very much so, Judy. Very, very helpful. We are our own best ministers. Oh, our true self. Finding that place is all comfort. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jude. Um, it's interesting that you were in the grocery store <laughs> when you had that attack because um, I use food as medicine. I'm not a body, but I have a body. Now, I can, I, and I rule my body. I can do it with my mind, or I can actually ask the body for its wisdom. And um, for my mind, I use an anti-inflammatory diet (laughs) called the Course in Miracles. So when my mind starts judging, I use the Course in Miracles. When my body's hurting, I use an anti-inflammatory diet with food. (laughs) And they work. I assure you, they work. 
So just a um, just a, a suggestion. You can look it up. You can Google it. There's and there's many different different ones, but usually they work. And if one doesn't, there's always another one. <laughs> so it's just a suggestion um, because for me, I need all the help I can get. So if I can train my mind, that's great. But I can also train my body. I'm complete. That's really excellent, Sandra. Reminds me where he says, the body is outside of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Definitely. Thank you. So great. Thank you, Sandra. Hi, it's Lana. Um, gosh, I'm loving these shares. I had to really make peace with my body. For many years, I hated it. <laughs> you know, who was sharing that they hated the body? And uh, I didn't hate, I was angry with it. I was set up and and then, you know, over time, thank goodness for A Course in Miracles, I learned that was just counterproductive. It's like, um, you know, I wasn't doing myself any favors by projecting hate on my body. So as a logical, just a logical uh, thing to do, um, I... I made up with my body, you know, and I started treating my body like a little child um, who's acting out. You know, a little child can act out, but we don't judge a little child because they're being a little child. And uh, that's the way. And what I noticed happened was that no, uh, a really wonderful shift happened because, yeah, and I'm not saying I don't have pain anymore. I'm just saying that, I'm not at the effect of the pain. You know, the pain isn't ruling me. It's it's um it's like I, I bring that I, I greet that pain. Um I was just, you know, with Holy Spirit yesterday writing about saying I love you to everything that shows up in my experience. That's the key for me because love heals for no other reason. I don't care if somebody's being really bitchy to me or or my back hurts or you know because um love i've found that love is the remedy it's it's the remedy for anything that shows up that's not love shows up unlike itself so when i greet everything uh, it, it has a unifying effect it brings everything into unity because it means there's not there's nothing that can show up in my experience that I'm not going to welcome into my heart. And in doing that, it heals. You know, I'm not, I, I'm not at the effect of it. I'm not a victim of anybody or anything anymore. Because, you know, just like that lesson where Jesus says, I have a kingdom, I must rule. It's like this experience of life, of living, of being in a body. Um, you know, I ha- as long as I'm rolling it, with Holy Spirit at my side and following God's script for me and not trying to interpose a different script, you know. I always think it's funny that the ego thinks it can have a plan better than God's where he's just laid out his will and his script for a perfect happiness. And all we have to do, all I have to do is align myself with that. And I'll never, you know, it's, it's like I may be in pain, but... 
suffering is a choice. You know, if I'm at the, if I'm feeling a victim or if I'm at the effect of the pain, I will suffer because I feel disharmony there. But when I join with the pain and bring that pain to love, um, my harmony returns. You know, I, I can be in a lot of pain, but I can still have a beautiful, peaceful peace of mind in my heart. And that at some point just overwhelms the pain and the pain disappears because I'm naturally going to be drawn to the love more than I'm being drawn to the pain. There's a little flip that happens where the love and the peace becomes more captivating than the pain is. So I'm I'm just pra- I'm just telling everything. I'm just saying I love you to everything, everyone. I don't have to understand. I just have to know that love works. <laughs> love heals. And that's my only reason for doing it. I'm complete. Amen. Thank you, Lana. Thank you, Lana. Thank you, Lana. And thank you, guys. Uh, this is this is Lemoyne. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say except I appreciate y'all. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, this just fits too well. I, I've got to bring this. It's something that actually that Harrison <laughs> spoke of yesterday, which is this line he he remembered, but not the context the line, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Which, and I think this, there's, this is from, this is something we've gone past this year. It's uh, chapter two, section five, the correction for lack of love. And uh, so it, it does sort of, tie everything together here, I think, and including especially the lesson. So if I may, I'm going to read read a little bit here from paragraphs uh, uh, 97 and the paragraphs following. Um, 97 says, when man, cre- mis- when man miscreates, he is in pain. And you know, I've I've always just to interject. I've always seen this as primarily psychic pain, but it will be expressed in the body as well. Um, and so, just want to put that in there. When man miscreates, he is in pain. The cause and effect principle here is temporarily a real expediter. Actually, cause is a term properly belonging to God. An effect, which should also be capitalized, is his son, which is also capitalized. This entails a set of cause and effect, both capitalized, relationships. Cause and effect relationships, which are totally different from those which man introduced into his own miscreation. 
the fundamental opponents in the real basic conflict are creation and miscreation. All fear is implicit in the second, just as all love is inherent in the first. Because of this difference, the basic conflict is one between love and fear. And so 98 says, it has already been said that man believes he cannot control fear because he himself created it. His belief in it seems to render it out of his control by definition. Yet any attempt to resolve the basic conflict through the concept of mastery of fear is meaningless. In fact, it asserts the power of fear by the simple assumption that it need be mastered. The essential resolution rests entirely on the mastery of love. In the interim, the sense of conflict is inevitable because man has placed himself in a strangely illogical position. He believes in the power of what does not exist. So, uh, two concepts which cannot coexist are nothing and everything. To whatever extent one is believed in, the other has been denied. In this conflict, fear is really nothing and love is everything. This is because whenever light enters darkness, the darkness is abolished. What a man believes is true for What a man believes is true for him. In this sense, the separation has occurred, and to deny this is merely to misuse denial. However, to concentrate on error is merely a further misuse of defenses. The true corrective procedure is to recognize error temporarily, but only as an indication that immediate correction is mandatory. This is, this is a reminder that over and over again I interject here. This is a reminder that's repeated through the workbook, you know, and uh, was, I think, stated in the, in the full lesson for today. You know, this is about training us to react differently to the perception of separation and fear and pain. So, that immediate correction is mandatory. This establishes a state of mind in which the atonement can be accepted without delay. And, uh, yeah, I've got to continue here. (laughs) In 100, it should be emphasized that ultimately there is no compromise possible between everything and nothing. Time is essentially a device by which all compromise in this respect can be given up. It seems to be abolished by degrees because time itself involves a concept of intervals which do not really exist. The faulty use of creation made this necessary as a corrective device. Now the quoted line, 
And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that what so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life needs only one slight correction to be entirely meaningful in this context it should read he gave it to his only begotten son <clears throat> and now um if you haven't seen it yet here's the tie-in with the lesson in paragraph 101, it should be especially be noted that God has only one son. If all the souls God created are his sons, then every soul must be an integral part of the whole sonship. You do not find the concept that the whole is greater than the parts difficult to understand. You should therefore not have too much trouble in understanding this. <clears throat> the sonship in its oneness does transcend the sum of its parts. However, this is obscured as long as any of its parts are missing. This is why the conflict cannot ultimately be resolved until all the parts of the sonship have returned. Only then can the meaning of wholeness in the true sense, be fully understood. So it goes on. I mean, it's a choice. We can believe in error or incompleteness, but this is a belief in the existence of nothing. The correction of this error is the atonement. And uh, <clears throat> that's what today's lesson was the practice in the atonement. That the spacious self is available and it is shared. And it is the one self united with our Creator. And yeah, I mean, I could go on. It, it ties into so many other things, like the art of thought, and, and of course, the thought. Lemoyne, where uh, were you reading from? It's chapter 2, section 5, The Correction for Lack of Love. So that was well, perfect, Lemoyne. Really perfect. And just thank you, Lemoyne. Well, thank you, <laughs> just love everything everything that comes welcome and love everything that comes thank you Lemoyne you know it's true it's um I'm sorry are you complete Lemoyne are you, are you oh yeah, complete? yeah. okay yes, all right it, it's not um you know <clears throat> spirit is is just being itself Whereas um, the idea of an ego is a, like a doing machine, <laughs> and um, and I you know and I truly believe the script is written. You know, it's it's not about um, making a life here. It's 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 my response to life. It's my response to God's script, and uh, which is my perfect happiness. That's as well. So whenever I try 
to alter that or I'm in conflict with that or I'm not um, embracing it or responding to it with love because that's the only real thing there is, you know, I I have this disharmony within myself. And and uh, because ego is such a making machine, it, it fear needs a construct to wrap itself in. Uh, fear never shows up just as fear. You know, we make a thing out of it. <laughs> you know, just like pain, you know, whether it's physical or emotional, you know, we make a thing out of pain. And, and pain's not a thing. It's it's an experience, and um, fundamentally, all it is is fear. Pain is fear. Anything we make that's not love is fear, and it doesn't matter how we construct a story around it or make a thing out of it. It's we're making nothing uh, because you know nothing but love exists. So I can, you know. I can go through life kicking and screaming and wanting it to be different than it is. Jesus says awakening doesn't have to be painful, but it usually is. You know, it's um you know, it's it's a choice to just uh resign from being the architect of my life and following and aligning myself with God's will, trusting God, trusting the future, trusting everything to God. Um making him my only authority uh, or trying to do battle with God, <clears throat> trying to make things different than it is. And it's such a preposterous notion to think that I could usurp the power of God. So when I recognize that, I just fall in love. I just fall into the love of it all and and see that the only sane thing to do is to respond to love with love. And it's like love recognizes itself and remembers who it is because it's being who it is. Um, it's being. Um, and and the good part about it is that it has, doesn't have to do anything. It just has to be what it is. It has to allow uh, creation to be what it is. And I think the intellect, of the ego thought system is so busy trying to understand it, trying to figure it out, um, that it misses that opportunity just to embrace it and 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 get lost in that love and um, and just know that it is all love because you know, like Lemoyne was reading, you know, we we can't be we can't have everything and nothing. When I'm in ego, I'm oblivious to the truth. And when I'm in truth, then ego is a nonsensical idea. I don't even go there, you know. It's I'm in one or the other. And um, it's always my choice. So, um, I'm sorry, background noise. And uh, so anyway, I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. Loved every bit of that. Thank you, Lana. Yeah, thank you, Lana. Thank you, guys. Well, it's been an hour since uh, <laughs> Fran gave us that awesome Hobbit's birthday present. Um, <clears throat> let me ask you, uh, Lori. <laughs> 
wondered why I was so spacey today. It was like a kind of channel that <laughs> recap. Um, you did. You did channel that. That was beautiful um, and perfect. Uh, uh, do you have a, a poetic conclusion for this call? I do. I do. I do. It was gifted to me in the last five minutes after I listened to everybody's shares. I remembered a beautiful song from 1986, sung by Steve Winwood. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. I could rise above on a higher love. I'll wait for it. I'm not too late for it. Until then, I'll sing my song to cheer the night along. I could light the night up with my soul on fire. I could make the sunshine from pure desire. Let me feel that love come over me. Let me feel how strong it could be. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. That higher love I keep thinking of. What a beautiful place to anchor my soul today. I'm so grateful for everyone. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you. I love that song, Lori. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I would have thought, Stevie, one word would be the source of such wisdom. Yeah. (laughs) Really something. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Lori, and everyone who's been here this morning or listens in the future. Uh, we'll continue the call, <clears throat> but this is the end of the recording. <clears throat>